Today on the Video Maker Podcast, we talk all about lighting. Actually, we had a lot to talk about related to lighting, and we only got to about half of it. So, um, we let's see, we talked about the importance of lighting and how really essential it is to creating great video. Um, we talk about the basic techniques of, of lighting and also its purpose for more advanced usage. We also get into kind of the physics of light and how it interacts with shadows and, and, and the camera. Um, as always, if you've been listening to the podcast and you enjoy it, we'd love it if you went to iTunes and gave us a five-star review. And while you're there, if you hit the subscribe button, that'd be really helpful for us and probably more convenient to you. We release the podcast every Monday morning at 5 a.m. Pacific time. So if you don't want to get up at 5 a.m. to hit the download button, hit the subscribe button, it'll be there when you wake up. Um, okay, so enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Video Maker Podcast. I'm Mike Wilhelm, and with me, as always, to my left is Haley LaPlante. Hi. And to my right is Chris Monlux. Hello. And today's topic is lighting. And, you know, uh, let's see, Susan came up with this idea. Susan is our art director, uh, came up with this idea earlier today when we were trying to figure out what are we going to talk about in today's podcast. And I was astonished, astonished that we haven't had a lighting podcast so far. We, I guess we we've talked about we've we've had a gaffer on and we've been t- we've talked about light but nothing with the like lighting as the the main topic. That's right. Although I think we like last week we were talking about color and we were talking a lot about lighting and that. So I think it make it just gets it gets thrown in there because it's so important. Yeah, it is, and you know this is like really one of these fundamental topics, fundamental you know um, disciplines of um, image making that there's no way we're going to cover everything there is to cover in just this, uh, you know, one hour conversation. Totally. Um, but we will do our best, I guess. Um, and you know, I was watching uh, some YouTube video recently and an ad came on. Um, I don't remember what the ad was for, but at any rate, it was for something related to video production and filmmaking. And it started off by saying, um, you know, if you really want to improve your videos, uh, focus on lighting first before anything else. Um, and I don't know, I, I really believe that to be true. Um, and maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe that you really should learn the rule of thirds and how to expose an image first. Um, but, but really lighting is so essential and so many people don't, um, know how to do it. And when I say people, I mean, a lot of professionals don't really know much about artificial lighting. Totally. Um, and I don't know if that's because of access to the equipment, um, or just a lack of knowledge or both. But it's certainly the case that as soon as you have a grasp of lighting and you have the time and maybe luxury, I guess, to spend time setting up lights for a shoot, like the value of uh, production, your production will just like shoot through the roof. Totally. Um, I, I think the, the one of the big reasons why the, the lighting hasn't made into a lot of... Um, into a lot of like, at least um, small teams and that kind of thing is because access to, you know, good lights, uh, one, they're expensive and it's hard to justify money on, on lights, but that like, you know, we used to need to buy, a, you know, 1K light. Now we have dimmable lights. We, you know, we have uh, lights that are not as expensive as like, you know, they're not $10,000. They're a couple thousand dollars. So they're more uh, approachable now. So someone could have, you know, learned a bunch of lighting on their own, but it's unlikely you spent, you know, 20, 30 grand and didn't know what you're doing with, you know, buying good lights or whatever. So, it, I, I mean, it's good to, it, it, the the application of it is, 
I think a really good practice of composition though, like when you're working on lighting, you're trying to be deliberate about your scene, yet you're getting to see, you know, everything out of frame as well. So, you know, getting to try to figure out how you want to contour um, somebody with, uh, you know, shaping them with the light and what mood you want to get. Uh, there can be a lot of thought into that. I mean, just recently I've been shooting a bunch of products and it's like, man, I've been, I'll, I'll be uh, lighting for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes getting everything all set up for a shot that's going to take, you know, for a 15 second shot, uh, you know, and it's just, if you want it to look really good, it's got to be, especially for product lighting, because everything needs to be just there. But, and, you know, if, if the product itself is not really dynamic, you got to make it dynamic with the lighting or with the camera movement. Uh, but yeah, the, the access to, to these professional lighting tools have just been getting more affordable and available for, for, you know, small two, three teams, single, uh, one, one, uh, one person show type of thing. Um, and the thing is, is if you don't know how to use this stuff, it's, it's pretty useless. You know, I, I, I know for a long time when I was shooting, um, commercials, you know, is that, is there enough light? Well, is there noise in the image? No. Okay, cool. We got enough light. We're good. You know, it wasn't, we weren't lighting for anything other than to get enough light that the, that the image might look nice. It wasn't that we were, we were just trying to illuminate. We weren't trying to actually contour or do anything with that light. Well, yeah, and, and also just the nature of those types of productions are quite a bit different than, for example, like what we're doing here. So in this room, there's three of us, and uh, there's uh, eight, eight active lights on right now, right? Yeah. Um, and these lights took, uh, boy, how long, Chris, how long did it take to set up and configure these lights as they are the first time that, that you set them up? Got to be a couple hours. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I needed to have someone sit down, and you know, and a lot of times you got to see what through the camera and whatnot, and uh, yeah, and and like where they're at. So the the biggest thing we had a problem with is color temperature because um, although all of our soft lights are all bicolor, so they can go, they can range in their in their uh, color temperature, uh, but that the our our Fresnels, which are focusable hard lights, uh, they are all set at five thousand K. So I had to match all of our, our uh, soft lights to match that color temperature. And, I, and unfortunately on them, they're not terribly accurate. You know, it's kind of a dial and there's notches, but it doesn't tell you how many, what's between those notches. So I actually had to get a, uh, um, a light meter out and you know, wipe, make sure I had them all at the right same color temperature. So then when we set our cameras at the cam that color temperature, it would look right. Um, so we had to, I had to do all that then. It was all about putting them in the right direction and, and where they're going to go and that kind of thing, how much intensity they need, uh, what they're doing. And, you know, for for me, when I'm especially when I'm trying to light uh, multiple. Well, this is this is a difficult one. So we have three cameras. We have a lot of things that we're trying not to get in, in the shot. We're trying not to give anybody unflattering shadows, yet we're lighting with a lot of soft light that everybody's getting scattered with. Uh, so there's a lot of issues that are with that, but it's, it was just all about, okay, put it there. And it's amazing how a little movement, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to move this down an inch. Oh, perfect. Or, uh, having, um, on all of our hard lights, they'll have barn doors, which is, you know, flaps that'll block light. So being able to actually make it so that the light doesn't spill onto places you don't want to, so you don't get the long shadows on your face or, or whatnot. I think I'm spewing jargon right now, just <sighs> lots and lots of it. Yeah, uh, Haley's got a new sound effect for when Chris talks too much, right? Yeah, what's the sound effect? <laughs> She's got to look at her cheat sheet. Boring! <laughs> <laughs> That's how she feels about yeah. it. Uh, 
So, uh, but but I, I would say, you know, it was three, four hours, and then I still spend, you know, 20 minutes maybe before doing a shoot to make sure if I have moved any of the lights, making sure they're generally in the same area. And I try not to move, you know, as many as I possibly can when I'm doing other shooting and stuff. So for the setup that we have here, these, you know, we have three cameras um, in this room. So that's considered three setups. So setup is like in filmmaking terms is when you, you know, where are you placing your camera and where the lights go? That's a setup. Um, And so we have three here. It took a couple hours, I guess, to get all the lights configured for three setups simultaneously. When we're talking about commercials, especially the type of commercials that you and I did, you know, the whole shoot is four hours, maybe. Yeah, right. Um, and you might have uh, 20 setups. Like, you're really on the move. You're moving the camera constantly, pointing it in different directions, trying to get all these different things. So the idea that you're going to get 20 setups with, you know, nice artificial lighting for each one in four hours is just like, it's, it's a fantasy. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, I don't know how many times I was just happy that the ceiling was white so I could just balance all of our light off the ceiling and then everything in, in the scene would be nice, soft light. And, okay, it's illuminated, good. We would don't have any shadows to deal with. But a lot of times, if your scene got big enough, it was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light the subject and hopefully everything else in the room's bright enough. I, I remember shooting a furniture commercial. It was like, we're showing all of the deals and the rows of, of couches they had. And it was like the oldest building ever with like two or three outlets in the whole entire building that worked. And like there's a corner that the fluorescent light is out. So it was like this back corner is all dark. Like the boogeyman was back there and they're trying to talk about sale. It was, it was very difficult to try to deal with that. How do you do a big wide shot and not get the lights in it and everything? Yeah. So, you know, in a situation where we have uh, a studio and most of the, the shots, the setups are kind of the same, like the setup that I'm at now with the camera in that position with these lights we use for a lot of different things. Yeah. And so we can afford to spend several hours to get the lighting just right on it. Um, and as a result, the shot looks really good, like all the time. Um, and it's easy to look at that and go, boy, why don't we have that for everything? Yeah. And it really comes down to that fact that, well, each setup, you you, you know, you're going to spend two or two hours per setup getting all, everything right. And the answer usually is no, if your video is very dynamic and shooting in a lot of places. Um, you know, Haley's working on an article now about lighting for YouTube. Mm-hmm. And we have to do, uh, we have to assume that YouTubers are basically in the same spot, right, Haley? Like the idea that we're talking about vloggers or, or cooking channels or whatever, where for really from video to video, they kind of have the same setup. Right. Um, and... A lot of YouTubers don't do that. They might, you know, take their camera out on the go. But um, those types of YouTubers who are out on the go, no one really expects them to have, like, really nice professional lighting for every shot. Whereas having nice professional lighting for a YouTuber in their typical setup with their vlogging setup or their cooking setup or their beauty of a setup or whatever, you know, high quality lighting really is within their grasp to have that for every video. Um, And so it's worth it to... Invest the time to learn the tactics um, and to get the right equipment if you're going to be like shooting the same thing over and over again. Yeah, so I mean, like, our, we wouldn't we wouldn't spend the time to re to light this studio if it wasn't like these are staying this way, so we can sit down and turn key go. If this was a studio that was like an active studio, otherwise, all the lights would be against the wall, and every time you had a shoot, you'd set up for those scenes you're you're lighting for you'd set them up then you'd break everything down and everything would go away and that 
is just very time consuming. Uh, the you know the the cool thing is I think is that uh, you know um, cameras are becoming more sensitive. So uh, going out and being in places where you don't have control of the light, that there are you know that you can get really nice shots. Because I was going to say, Mike, uh, I've gotten lots of very very beautiful shots that I didn't work on the lighting at all. But I'd have to say that it was because I was lucky. It was because I had the I was in the right place at the right time, and so there was a, a, a element of luck in the in how nice that shot is. Uh, versus like going, okay, I have this thing I need to do and I need to achieve it. That's much more difficult to do because you have to actually get it that way. And, you know, there's a lot of things to have to fight uh, when it comes to lighting a scene. In our building here, or at least in the studio, there's no windows here. The worst we have is a, a big gap in the door over here that sometimes the sun shines through. Uh, but it's we can get it completely dark, so we have complete control over sound, audio, lighting. Sound and audio, those are, those are different, right? Um uh, <laughs> And uh, so we can have all this control. If we just step out out of the room, we're in a, a big room that has lots of windows. And, uh, you know, throughout the year, not only is the direction of the sun different, but also the color temperature changes throughout the day, depending on the, the, the thing. So depending on the, the part of the building you're shooting in or whatever. So it can be very difficult to have to set those up. And uh, I know, like, I've done a couple videos where I'm all out there and, man, I'm busting my butt just to, like, get lights in the scene, let alone, like, making them look really good. And that's why, you know, there's you have a specific job, you know, on a movie set of someone doing that because, like, I mean, really the actors are ready to hack. Usually the shooter's ready to shoot, but you got to get the scene set up and it just takes time. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the, the gaffers are there well before a scene's being shot so that they're ready to walk right on. But, you know, you do one or two scenes, maybe you try to get some coverage, but then they're, you know, completely breaking down. Whereas we try to keep it as simple as possible. When I'm shooting B-roll, I'm shooting it in the same place. When I'm shooting, you know, we're shooting A-roll, uh, we're shooting in the same place. So that really helps uh, for this. But I think we're jumping in a little too deep here. So what's the, like, what would you say, Mike, is the reason for lighting versus, like, going with the in vogue uh, natural light lighting look? What's the reason for it? Yeah, you know, why would I? Why would I not just position myself in the room uh, where I had used the sun to look pretty good, versus like lighting the whole scene up with uh, artificial light? Well, I mean, I think if you if you're considering like what is the the primary purpose of lighting, it's really, I mean, at its most basic level, we're talking about providing enough um, uh, brightness in the shot so that your camera can properly expose. And and uh, sort of secondary to that is to to uh, to make sure that the the shot is clear and able to you know you can clearly understand what you're looking at. Um, so for example, if you're shooting outdoors in the sunlight and it's noon and uh, you know you're, you've got a person on screen, they're going to have like these really intense shadows because of the contrast between you know, where the sun hits a person's face and the shadow that's cast under their eyes or under their chin or past their nose, that contrast is really intense. Yeah. And that combined with the contrast of whatever's happening in the background, like you have some trees or a car or a building or whatever, you're also getting these very intense shadows. And as a result, the, the image itself, it's possible that it's just not going to be very clear. It's not going to be easy to look at if it's on screen for a split second, for example. It's just a very noisy thing. So, so sort of jumping back really we're talking about the first thing is make sure that the camera can pick up what it's supposed to pick up it's getting enough light to expose properly on your subject yep 
Um, and then secondly is uh, make sure that it's lit in such a way that a viewer can quickly see what they're supposed to see. Um, and that really comes down to what are the shadows like. Um, you know, I have read that um, lighting is really the art of placing shadows. Mm. Um, and I, I believe that it's true outside of just providing enough luminance for a camera to be able to see what it's supposed to see. Sure. Um, but it's really that. Um, and even if you go down to three-point lighting setup, it really is about placing shadows, illuminating the face in such a way that shadows are, are placed um, in, a, in a way that provides some texture and shape to a person's face without providing without having so much contrast that it's difficult to actually see and to provide some contrast and separation uh between the subject on screen and the 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 background behind them yeah you know the 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 high noon uh example you know the there should there's ample light right suns but it's straight up so you're getting long shadows from the nose down what's that going to do? It's going to be unflattering, regardless of how beautiful the person is. It's going to be unflattering to have a big giant shadow under your nose. It's going to make your nose look larger. Uh, same with the, the, you know, your wells, your eyes going to make them look tired. So there's a lot of like mood that's set um, from your lighting. And so sometimes you're, you're trying to just control the shadows, like in the way of like, how do I get rid of these shadows? So sometimes if you're lighting with the sun, you're going, okay, how do I get light in those places that have shadows. So you're trying to place light to get rid of that. So you might actually be doing that without a light specifically, but like a white card or uh, some kind of, or a, um, you know, a, a reflector or something like that. Uh, or you're, or you're trying to control the light. And obviously it's, it, how do you control the sun? You, 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 you escape the sun. You don't really control the sun. Now you can, you know, uh, shade and do that kind of thing, but that's, you'll see that a lot in news, uh, that they'll shade their interviewer and interviewee, but then you'll notice the background's just super bright and it's because they're in shadow and the sun in the background's in full sun. And so that, that contrast is really hard. So you're trying to make it so that that contrast isn't as much like just what Mike was saying that, that contrast. So, but a lot of times it's just in the effort to, uh, to control those shadows. So, you know, if you're trying to uh, make a dramatic scene, you, you can't, you can't have someone all like beautifully evenly lit looking like they're ready to, you know, uh, spin the wheel on the wheel of fortune or something. It's just, it's going to have a happy mood looking and where you wanting to have it dramatic or, or moody or of some sort. So there are exceptions, of course, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, and I was just thinking of uh, Haley's favorite movie, Braveheart, Braveheart yeah. uh, which, you know, the most dramatic scenes are outdoors under overcast skies where um, I don't believe, and I, actually, while you're talking, Chris, I was looking up some behind the scenes stuff for Braveheart. That was like basically all natural lighting. Oh, it had to be. I mean, it's such a huge scene. The, don't get me wrong. I guarantee you, they had some really bright lights to make it so Mel Gibson really stood out when when they're having a fight. You know, some kind of thing. I guarantee you that they were following him. You know, the subject matter of the scene, but the greater scene as a whole. I mean, talk about a difficult thing to see. I mean, even a, a to light this this space. You know, is a lot of lights. Uh, it, you know, just think about if you're doing that and you're fighting the sun, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's the brightest light that we have. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a, a difficult, uh, difficult thing to achieve, but you can start with the basics. And so in this room to get lit for these different setups, I started with darkness and I started with the, uh, three point lighting. 
So three-point lighting is three, three, three different lights that are trying to do three different things. One is one being your main source, which is your, your um, key light. And then the next is your fill light, which is just to control the shadows created by your key light. And then you have your backlight, and your backlight's just helping uh, separate your subject from the background. And so I was doing one at a time. So I'd set up my key light. Okay, is this where I want light to be coming from? Cool. Subject looks pretty good. Okay, now I want to turn on my fill, and I want to bring up its intensity until I have the amount of shadows that I want. Uh, on their face, and then the background light, the the rim light to separate them. That's really the thing that's that's giving contour. So right now, it it's not real apparent. Um, I think I, if I moved it, well, actually I moved the light doesn't move with me. But that our shoulders have some light on them, and it's not because we just have so much spill. It's because we actually have lights pointing on us to to get our rim uh, around us to get the edge of our shoulders and our heads and everything. And this gets really difficult when you have like shared space so obviously the light that is mike's key is spilling on me somewhere some way i'm not sure how much uh but you know i would be illuminated if i turned off all the lights that were specifically on here for me now i'd be a lot darker than everybody else but that's uh part of the process so you know dealing with with lighting uh, a scene I always go to three-point lighting first. Okay, how do I apply three-point lighting in the scene? It might be I want to know where the light source would be from the scene. So if I'm emulating the sun or I'm emulating a window or uh, a lamp or anything like that, okay, cool, that's where my lighting source is. And then the others are to solve the problems that are created by that. Um, and so you can you can address those really uh, pretty simply just by doing that. Now the the cool thing is is sometimes you get lucky and you don't you place lights and you turn them on. And it's like oh that works. I mean that was I moved quite a few of these lights uh, that we're using right now earlier today when I was shooting and I don't have them marked. Although that'd be smart to do uh, of how they should be set up uh, normally. And uh, I just was like, oh, I think this is about right. And I set it up before, and sure enough, we all sat down. It looks pretty good. I mean, could it be better? Sure. Uh, it'd always be better, I guess. But, you know, it's just making sure you're achieving what you're trying to achieve. And that's the whole thing about filmmaking is why – that was my trick question here, Mike, is like, it, why do you illuminate? It will is to tell your story. You know, you, you want to tell your story the best way. So how do you support your story? Well, by lighting your subjects so that people can see them, but also to convey mood and all the rest, those feelings that you're going to have that hopefully your viewer will never be aware of or ever thinking about. If your audience, or if, if your viewer is, is thinking about your lighting, likely it's, the scene's not lit well or they're like a nerd and they're studying your lighting. So I would, I would disagree with you a, a little bit here, Chris, which is that um, if we're talking about what is the purpose of lighting maybe the, the trick the trick answer the answer to your trick question is there is not a singular purpose no, no totally. um and that uh the 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 um the idea of using light to tell a story is really kind of like advanced lighting right oh, so, totally. so um you can tell a story without any artificial light or you can tell a story just uh you know with with pure um, natural, smooth lighting through the whole thing and, and still be dramatic. Braveheart proves that, right? Totally. Um, yeah. There's like a couple of scenes where it's dark, but very, yeah, very few. But even the, like the most dramatic scene in the film, right at the very end, when he's, uh, let's see, they put him on the rack or something, oh, yeah. right? Broad daylight. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just uh, whatever was outside, like right? that's kind of what it was. I think that scene's interesting because they go back and forth, like William Wallace is being tortured, but then they go to... Um, 
Longshanks and he's in his room dying and it's kind of dark and like yeah so going back and forth between those two yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, although and if we look at um you know these big war scenes that have come out since um we see a lot more kind of dramatic things happening so maybe we could look at lord of the rings as was uh, a film that came out a few years later that now these movies are happening or these battle scenes are happening at night uh and they're lit by the moonlight oh, yeah. or something you know um what was the other one uh, game of thrones kind of did the same thing they had this like in this uh, that that scene where it took place in this like, this muddy field or something, and Jon Snow got um, dogpiled by all these these dudes. It was like uh, this really gritty, high contrast thing. Um, the same thing with Saving Private Ryan when they're storming the beach was very high contrast. Yeah, um, and sometimes you know the the. The, the thing about the, the lighting, I mean, it, the dark scenes, you'd be amazed at how many lights it takes to light up a dark scene. And it's usually because it's it have to be really deliberate, right? It's easy to just throw a bunch of light on and get enough light, but using it to convey a message that is totally uh, advanced lighting. But it's more of it, more of my point of like all of the tools are hopefully to help you make your story better. Like it's not yeah. that your story's bad to begin with. It's just applying these applying advanced knowledge in this case uh will you know help um edify your your story or, or lift up certain points or or help make them easier for the audience to get or, or what have you um but i think that i mean if you're thinking about that if you're shooting your first thing and you're just trying to get lit um i i think it's um get lit uh <laughs> i i think that you know, is that a song it's got to be i don't, um, I don't think so it's no. blitz I'm thinking of it splits. It's blitz. Yeah, um, what was that? Anyways. You know, I was thinking of a really interesting example of lighting from Quentin Tarantino is Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. After the big massacre scene, like at the end, and they have uh, Jamie Foxx. And it's like at night, but there's an oil lamp. It's supposed to be an oil lamp, I think, that's over his head. But there's no way you'd get that much light. Yeah, yeah never, oil never. Lamp. So those. the way Tarantino uses the light to portray the oil lamp, but it's not actually... Totally. Yeah, and just about any movie where they have a lamp or a candle or something. Yeah. It's, I always like it when they turned off the light. It's like, oh, good night, honey. And all of a sudden they turn off this one yeah. bedside table light and then the whole room is completely dark <laughs> and it was like perfectly lit before. It's like, wow, that's that's, that's pretty dumb. Power, a powerful candle. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, the cool thing is about some new lights. So we have one over I have a couple over here actually that are RGB lights, but they also have some... Uh, the RGBWs, so you can, um, they can be different colors, so they actually have one that's like a police light, so you could put it outside so it looks like the cops are here, so, you know, the light to be reflecting off of things, you'd be like, oh, it seems like the the lighting bar on a, on a police car, or they have, uh, they have TV flicker, they have, like, uh, lightning, and that actually accidentally turned on the lightning and I just about had a stroke. Uh, it freaked me out. I was like, ah, and I couldn't see the screen to turn it off, and it was in my eyes. But uh, it, it's it's really uh, impactful when you use those lights that way, like trying to emulate those those real lights. So I imagine in that scene with uh, Jamie Foxx and, and Django Unchained, like uh, the color temperature of that light had to be warmer. The you know a daylight light would not work in oh, that yeah. scene. I mean, you could, but the skin tones wouldn't look right and that kind of thing. So you mm-hmm. have to use the right color temperature to be able to convey a fire versus, uh, you know, the headlights of a new car or yeah, an old car that has, you know, more incandescent light bulbs or just the different the different color temperatures actually scream a, like era and, and genre sometimes. Uh, but like 
era totally like blue light i remember my grandfather really disliking blue lights like fluorescent lights you know, I, they need to be warm yeah and well he, for your and, house you know you yeah exactly warm. what he was yeah he, he changed all his bulbs thinking oh, i'm gonna save a bunch of energy and then he hated the vibe in his house yeah that's oh, what that, he said to me i hate the vibe in here 90 year old man. we should circle back to to like the physics of lights i do want to talk about oh that yeah that's like our, too, one of our first points yeah. that we should have been talking about um but uh but re- regarding let's see what uh, the, the the lamp in django you know if they put a daylight colored light behind that it would not look especially strange because the lamp itself is actually giving off a little bit of light even if they have another light behind it like enhancing it yeah the lamp is going to give off a very warm color temperature from this this blue flame not blue flame this flame um and then the uh the uh the the light behind it if it's daylight color is going to be very blue and they're just going to be like what's going on here these don't, these don't match it's like holding the the green lightsaber and everything being lit up red, you know, yeah. someone's just going to look at that and go, well, oh, that's not right. It's totally, and, and those, and those, that idea of practicals, which is, you know, the lights you see in a scene that are emitting light, but aren't necessarily the lights in the scene, lighting the scene. Those are really important to match. So I had a scene that I, I brought a lamp in yesterday to shoot uh, a desk type scene and um, I have an incandescent bulb for it. And my lights, uh, I was using the, the daylight lights couldn't shoot them together it didn't look right and my hard lights I, were not by color so i just had to ditch the lamp because uh, it just wasn't working i probably could have find a, uh, a bulb that matched or something like that if, if if it was actually you know a bigger production or something but this was just kind of on a whim but you you have to match that color temperature and that the you know the the physics of light is really important to pay attention to because you could have a really bright light but it won't illuminate your scene unless it's powerful enough and can be focused. So, you know, we talk about hard and soft light, which I've talked about a little bit. The big difference is, you know, on a cloudy day, the sun is a soft light. On a midsummer day when no clouds, well, at least in California, it's midsummer. Uh, but it would be, that would be a hard light. And hard lights cast sharp, dark, sharp shadows. You know, you can, it's the ones you do hand puppets with, right? Uh, that's that's a hard light, whereas a soft light's going to have diffused um, shadows and they're going to be softer. Um, and, uh, you know, it used to be everything was a hard light and you used a modifier. You used something to diffuse that light. So you put something in front of it so that it made the light source lar- from a larger uh, area. And that's really the big difference is a, a hard light is a, a smaller directionality than, than the idea of broad, soft light. Right, so we talked about color temperature um, a few minutes ago, and color temperature to me has always been kind of confusing in like trying to d- figure out like what does that actually mean. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone, well, I don't want to say everyone, a lot of people know the the actual temperatures themselves and how they relate to the color of light. So you can do this if if you're unfamiliar with this, you can go down to Home Depot or something and, and validate this, but. Generally, there's this uh, range of anywhere between 2,700 to 6,500, which is the typical spectrum of, uh, of color temperatures for light. 2,700 is a very warm light, like a candle would emit. Yeah. Um, and it's very, you know, orangish. Um, and 6,500 is very uh, blue, like the sun would emit. And a lot, of, a lot of people think of the sun like, oh, that's a... Uh, that's, that's, red. that's yellow. What's yeah, going on? Yellow, yeah, right. What, what are you talking about? Blue. Well, actually, it is blue. Um, Think of when you leave a movie and you you go out of that theater. That the when you're 
go out if you don't have sunglasses and all of a sudden you're exposed to the bright outside it's blue you're for a second your brain is going to see everything yeah. a little blue yeah and that's the same idea our eyes are just super good at adjusting those color temperatures so for us it's really smooth going from inside indoors to outdoors yeah you also see this a lot if you ever look at amateur video and it's like shot inside someone's house and then they sort of take the camera and they pan a little bit and there's a window and it's just like bright blue outside. Yeah. It's because the sunlight's blue. Um, but they're measuring Kelvin. So when we're talking about 2,700 or 6,500, we're, we're talking about degrees Kelvin, which... Uh, not, not Calvin, like Calvin and Hobbes, but no, Kelvin, Kelvin with a K. Like the name of the guy, I think, that invented or that discovered this, invented it, Likely. this measurement. Um, so it's like, you can look at 2,700 degrees, like that's, that's freaking hot. Like, does something have to be 2,700 degrees in order to emit this color light? Well, not really. This, this is the really, this is the really confusing part. This is color temperature, not temperature. Yeah. Or it's not, what it's, would that be other, heat temperature? Yeah, exactly. Which Kelvin is a measurement of heat. Um, so here's the really confusing part is that, um, lights that emit warm color temperature. So 2,700, 3,200. Um, are very hot. You know, put your hand on a candle and you're going to burn your hand. Um, if you use a, um, a tungsten light, the type of light that emits 3,200 degree Kelvin, it's very hot, so much so that after you turn it off, you got to let it sit there for 30 minutes or an hour before you can handle it. Yeah. Whereas a light that emits very high color temperature, 5,600, is typically an LED, and it's not hot. You can pick it up while it's on, and you're not going to burn your hand. So, like, what's going on here? What about an LED that does tungsten? Well, that's an extra trick because there's a filter on it, right? Each diode has a little color. Um, so, uh, the now the, that's the confusing part. So, why is it that a light is hotter when the color temperature is colder? And and this is the part that is really difficult, to, for, at least was for me, to wrap my mind around it, which is that... These temperatures are theor not theoretical, but they're a representation of something that might happen in a theoretical world. And it has to do with um, a black body, which is a, an idealized um, piece of matter that is pure black, as in if light lands on it, it absorbs all of it. Um, and if you heat up this black body, it starts to glow. And at these different heat points, the color of the glow changes. So as it heats up to 2,700 degrees, it's going to emit this warm light. And as it heats up to 5,600 degrees or 6,500 degrees, it's going to emit this blue light. Huh. Um, Which is uh, different than like the idea of your fireplace uh, or, or uh, anything else that usually the, the more blue the, the flame on the fire, actually the hotter the fire. Uh, mm -hmm. And it has the same spectrum from red to blue with green in the middle. Uh, and uh, But the the big thing about it is none of this would really matter if we didn't have to tell the camera what color white is. And yeah. so, you know, we're, it's all about setting white balance on your camera. The reason why the color temperatures matter is because what you're trying to do is say, hey, camera, this color, this degree, this temperature right here is what white is. So see every other color in core, you know, in response to what white is. And I remember the first time or when I was learning how to shoot that I was at a camp and uh, we shot people all the time where I was going indoors and outdoors. So I was having to set my white balance all the time. And this is, this is, I, you know, if you're going indoors and outdoors, out, outside sun is not always 5,600K. It could be 9,700K. It could be uh, 4,700K. It depends on the day, right? The, where the sun mm -hmm. is, the amount of clouds, all the rest. So you want to set your white balance for that 
color for for the time. So I would just use the back of people's shirts, you know, and I was like, oh, white shirt, except for sometimes, you know, when you just walked outside, like I was saying from a movie, your color, your eyes doesn't look right. And you white balance on a shirt that's just slightly blue. And all of a sudden, all your shots look really weird. And, and the same thing, I mean, you, you try this at home if you have a, a camera that has, you can set the white balance, try different whites and see how it affects. Uh, and a big trick to dealing with multicolor uh, lights when you're in a situation where you don't have control over the color temperature is trying to get a white card that kind of gets a little bit of both so that you can set the white balance somewhere in between. So it's not as apparent that outside the windows bright blue or that your lights are really warm now if you have of course the biggest contrast between the lightest the the uh you know tungsten and and daylight you're gonna see a color shift there but that it's really important to have uh your camera see those colors properly because really the the thing that has the most color variance that we pay attention to is skin skin tone is one very different from person to person but also very different just on your body, you know, from the places where, you know, my wrinkles are that are darker to, you know, the tips of my fingers, my face that are redder, uh, you know, there's a quite a spectrum of color there and we will look really funny if the color isn't proper. And so that's really one of the biggest reasons why you want to really pay attention to that color temperature is because you could have really nice lights. And if your white balance isn't set properly, your, your skin tones and things are going to look funny. Uh, and we're not talking about quality of lights. I don't think so much in, in this podcast, but quality of light makes a big difference. And it's one of those things that you just can't put your finger on. You'll shoot with the light and be like, man, everything looked beautiful under that light. And then you'll shoot with another light and be like, ah, everything looks kind of green. I don't know if I like it. You know, And it really comes to the quality of the light. But that's advanced lighting. So, we'll so uh, short story, a yeah. little anecdote. Um, you mentioned setting white balance on people's shirts. So, you know, actually, you don't really need to do this these days because you can dial in the white balance to whatever you want. But one of the ways that you can set a white balance, obviously, is to fill the frame of your shot with white and then hold a button down and say, this is white. You're telling your camera what I'm look, what you're seeing now is white. So set that appropriately. And then it sets. Well, I used to do the shirt thing, too. Like you find someone with a white shirt on. And ideally, you find someone with a white shirt on that they don't have a bunch of print on the shirt. And uh, you fill the frame, you hit the button white um well i stopped doing this shortly after because uh i was at uh i was a high school student shooting like at a football game and normally i kept keep a white card in my pocket folded up piece of paper and i could hold it up and do it that way and i was like oh crap i forgot my white card and i really need to set this white balance so i'm like quick i need to find someone with a white shirt on and so some stranger was just around i'm like white shirt great so i like snuck up behind them they had blank of their back of their shirt was was blank (laughs) And I was like, oh, I got to get close because, you know, I couldn't zoom in just right. And it was like right behind them holding the camera up, like pressing the button. And they spun around right at that moment. Like, what are you doing, you creep? Like, get away from me with that camera. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Haley. Yeah. Let's see. That's it. Anyways, no more, no more shirt white balancing for me. <laughs> you know, when it comes to shooting video in public, you get tunnel vision uh, to getting your shot. And so you will definitely do things that are like if someone was watching you, like I don't know the all the strange contortions I've gotten my body into to get the shot because you're just thinking about the shot and they're like someone watching you and it's like that's some funny parkour kid, mm-hmm. uh, you know you just you all sorts of but I I've, I remember getting caught white balancing and it was person shirt wasn't thinking about it, I'm zooming in on the chest of a person yeah a, a female and it wasn't for the creepy version reason but 
sure didn't look like it. Again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh man. And so you know, you got to be aware. And that's why a lot of times when you're shoot, like documentary shooting and that kind of thing, all the handler to help you one not get hit by a car or you know get into situations where you shouldn't be because you're just paying attention to the shot. And so you know. It, you can get somewhat in tunnel vision. And, I, and I'm really uh, bold when it comes to shooting. I don't mind getting right up into something if I feel like it. I mean, I, we, we shot the uh, yeah, sprint car races here in town, and, and, like, I had to have someone holding me so I wouldn't walk into the race course or, you know, on the racetrack uh, and die. Uh, but, you know, you, really all this has to do with lighting. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to do boring. Let's get, yeah, let's get boring. Uh, so boring. we're we were talking about YouTube lighting, and I think the really interesting thing is this is the place where I see so many more ring lights than I do other things. And this is a round light that when – and it's really easy to tell because typically when you see someone's pupils or their eyes, they have like a beautiful little circle Yeah, uh, by the way, the, the, the manufacturer of those lights, they talk about how wonderful that little circle is. Maybe it's because I'm just like in it and I know that, oh, that's just the ring light reflecting. Is it really beautiful, like that circle? It's like well, it's, yeah. I, I think it's it's unnatural, but it it for some things you know it draws your eye to it. You know, makes your eyes glisten a the, little different. Definitely, way the little specular highlight that you get on your eyes from a from a light is is nice. It's a it's a very beautiful look. But the ring specifically, I yeah. Know. You know, the first time I saw that kind of lighting was um, for all these cut ins for the World Series of Poker, and they used to have really amazing production, and they did these really cool. Um, truck shots going uh, dollying into uh, a person and they had a ring light on the camera and there was no other lights so they were going the subject was completely dark to the camera moving into them but the light was on the camera so then all of a sudden they were lit because you got the camera closer to them and then of course they're all wearing sunglasses like they you know as uh, poker players so they all look really tough and it was one of the first times I ever saw those ring lights and I was like oh that's really neat but it's just a gimmick I mean it's just the it's neat. it looks nice in those situations i think beauty vlogs people that are doing ma- you know doing makeup or you're looking at someone it's it's something interesting to look at or whatever and it is nice because it's a light coming from the perspective of the camera so it's likely you're not going to have funny unless you're shooting from a strange uh, angle you're going to have funny shadows or anything like that it's uh it's a lot better than the light that they use a lot of times like on the news that's like on top of the camera, just a big old bright hard light that they're just trying to get enough light so they can get the interview at night of the person that just got mugged or whatever, uh, you know. So it's nice there, but when it comes to just you know lighting up your scene, well, I like to do this watching YouTubers because you can always catch in their eyes where their lights are or where there'll be a mirror somewhere and you'll you'll see it or you know something like that. And and it, it's fun to try to okay how are they lighting their scene or like in the way of like. You know the number one YouTuber. Uh, he doesn't. You know PewDiePie doesn't. You're talking about T series. Yeah, T series. Yeah, T series. No, T series knows how to light because they're like you know actually a company. But yeah, so uh, we must be talking about the number two. Yeah, number two. Number two. Number, now, yes. Yeah. Well, he's the number one uh, individual YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but he uh, he doesn't do lighting. He doesn't care. And he like people give him a hard time about his camera being blurry. He doesn't care. It's he still gets views. And you know why would you care if he still got views? Uh, well, I'd care because I just like making things look good. But uh, you know, 
Ring lights are just so convenient, I feel like, for YouTubers. And they're so available now, especially like on Amazon. Oh, yeah. I know there's so many affordable options, especially for YouTubers who are just starting out. So I feel like that's like one of the easy go-to options. There's a lot of cheap, affordable lights, especially on Amazon, of course, place to find cheap, affordable things. But that like China makes a lot of LEDs and stuff like that. So you can get... Um, I mean, I, had, I think behind Mike actually you can't see it, but it's a it's a moon or it uh, looks like a moon. It's a globe, oh, yeah, and it's got a light in it, and it, it emits. And guarantee you, it's some kind of crummy LED that's inside it. Uh, you have seen strip lights, lots of accent lights and stuff because you know they can make them, and, and if they're not really high quality, they can be really cheap. You know, high quality LEDs are special and good lighting, but if you're using them as like a color, uh, they're really easy to do. But you can find a three a piece lighting kit on Amazon for 150 bucks. You'll be able to dim. You might not be able to get bicolor, so you might not be able to change the color temperature. But uh, you at least can dim it and bright it without changing the color temperature. Which, like on a tungsten, like a light that's actually an incandescent bulb, if you actually lower the amperage that's going to it, its actual color temperature is going to go down. Uh, and uh, fun fact on on incandescent light bulbs, a lot of people, you know, uh, they'll burst and you don't want to touch them. And the reason why is the grease or the oil on your hand gets on the on the bulb, and because they get so so uh, hot, they'll boil that oil from your hand and then burn the, the light bulb out so it's it's an interesting thing it's not like from you touching it but it's from the the oils off your hands and the heat uh coming together but cheap cheap lights i mean it used to be tungsten all day long you get you know a little small kit i don't know anyone that shoots with tungsten unless they just don't have enough money to to buy it because it's they are well, so leds hot. are so cheap now too so they're so cheap you can you and they're low power so you can find them battery powered can they're you imagine dimmable and all that kind of stuff i mean it just took a lot to do this with incandescent can you imagine all these uh, beauty vloggers you know who are now spending like what 100 bucks or something for a nice ring light um instead spending 100 bucks on uh one of the old tungstens that we used to shoot you know in, in college like 250 or yeah they've got the uh the thousand watt thing in the corner of the room this is like, like beyond my time i have no idea thanks for reminding it how old this is how <laughs> Sorry. Old i would i would say these lights are very much like the kc lights on a big truck that are just meant to illuminate they're just bright and i mean you could shape them with the right tools it just it, it was it was definitely more harder well dimming lights are just amazing i mean if you if if you don't have space to back your light off and it's just a constant brightness it's difficult like what do you you, you just gotta point it in a different direction or something it's hard to control that light so just being able to dim the light without changing the color temperature is a huge tool that is just amazing to have and then the idea of changing colors i mean there's just so many times where you'll be in a room that's maybe it's fluorescent light bulbs or fluorescent tubes or whatever, and those are all usually green around 4,000, 4,200 Kelvin, uh, that you could probably dial those lights down so that you can just use them. Now, usually fluorescent lights cycle, so you get kind of a weird cycle thing that'll happen with your, your camera if the, the bulbs are old or the um, the uh, ballast of the, the lights are, are old. Uh, you'll get the same kind of thing that when you look at a CRT, old tube monitor. Yeah, that, you get that, with strobe, the banding. Yeah, the banding that's there, that's no good uh but you know i would have to say well since i started working for video maker a lot of the times i get i have the right light for the tool i have the light right light for the job uh and i have the right space for to to set it up that's rare 
You know, I mean, like that's because I have a studio to work in. If you're shooting out in the world, you're working with what you got. And so it's about trying to use it to your best ability. And technique is going to be the thing that's going to be able to, to, to elevate your ability. Because, um, you know, just just knowing that, oh, you know, a ring light looks nicer than an incandescent light sitting on the top here that's going to just choosing the right light for the job is going to be a bigger uh is going to be a bigger benefit than than fighting it i mean i can only imagine if you gave a, a kit like that to someone that's used to using a ring light or that kind of setup they probably wouldn't know what to do they just are lucky they're using tools that work well for their um their content type so um we've kind of bounced all over the place here but i do have one more um physics related uh tip for everyone which it took me longer than i care to admit to to learn this but Sometimes you'll get a light and you'll wonder to yourself, like, why do some lights um, provide, like, nice soft shadows and it looks really pleasing on skin tones and others, like, you get these really hard, sharp lines in the shadows? And uh, the reason is uh, it has to do with the size of the light source relative to the size of the subject. So if you have a flashlight and you point it at someone, like a, like a little LED flashlight, the flashlight, the light point in this flashlight is going to be like, it's like a little LED diode inside of a like a one inch cone, essentially. So the light source is like one inch in diameter compared to a person's face, which is like six to eight inches or something in diameter. And so you're guaranteed you're going to get these sharp shadows across their nose and their eyebrows and all this other stuff. Whereas if you have a big light source, like uh, an LED, like one of these one-by-ones is pretty big, bigger than someone's face, but you could go even bigger than that, a big softbox that's like three-by-three. Three. The bigger that light source is compared to the subject, the softer it's going to be. You're going to get light that lands and sort of wraps around from a number of different angles, which is also why um, the sun has such sharp angles. And you might think, well, the sun is really big. It's bigger than me. Um, why, why does it have such sharp uh, shadows? And it really is the relative size um so the sun is big but it's also like pop quiz how far away from the sun is is the earth like, uh, it's like 45 minute drive or something okay like that. yeah so it's really far away it's like at least 30 miles away yeah at least and, 30 uh, miles that's why we stay away and so you know it's like a pinpoint in the sky relative to you know us sit, standing here here on earth so that's why we get these these sharp shadows so there's probably some math involved in the angle of the rays but um at any rate uh if you want nice soft shadows get a big source of light that's why standing next to a window with uh, not the sun coming directly through the window but the sun just like hitting things outside but and coming in naturally through the window gives you a nice soft light because the window itself is a source of light and uh, it's huge compared to a person so here's some somewhat related to that is the term micro shadows so if you have a bunch of small light sources, like a one-by-one one light that has you know, 300 diodes in it that are all uh, lit up, it's really, in essence, 300 lights that are working together. They're really close, but they're not right on top of each other. There is space between them. Because of that, you have different angles of your shadows. So you, and I'm sure, um, I, I think I've seen this a lot of times in like ba baseball fields because they have so many lights coming from different directions. You can stand there and you could have shadows like in a whole 360 degrees around you and you see of, your, of yourself just because light's coming from every direction. And micro shadows are all about the idea that they're not, 
the light's not getting diffused enough before it's getting to you. So you're actually seeing shadows from each one of those lights. So a lot of uh, LEDs, we actually have two of them on, uh, up here that are that you can actually see the diodes. And if I we brought that out, you could see that they actually, uh, at a certain distance, uh, you, the further you get, the more they overlap and you don't get the shadows but that you start getting those micro shadows and and it's definitely something to pay attention to when you're paying a good amount of money for lights because it's uh, a really big detriment to shooting faces and stuff if you have like uh, a weird like five shadow nose or something it's it just doesn't work really very well so um we wanted to talk about a lot of other things in this podcast totally i think we got through half of it yep and our time's up so I guess we're going to have to do lighting part two. There was another thing topic we discussed recently, and we hardly scratched the surface. We were going to come back to it, and I forgot what that one was. You're going to have to listen to all the podcasts and find I out. It's 36 or here. 35 now. This 35. is number 35. I think there's like 38 total, but three of them we won't let the, uh, the world hear. Yeah, we got to do uh, – we're coming up on 50. We should probably do something crazy. Ice bucket challenge for Chris. For me. Yep. Ice bucket challenge. Yeah. That's so dated now. I just want to dump a bucket of ice. Yeah, he's trying to find some. We're going to slime Chris. Oh, yeah, slime. Speaking of dated, right? Dated, yeah. I remember slime. Slime. Slime time live. Uh, yeah. On Nickelodeon? Yeah. So it, it actually originated on You Can't Do This on Television. Yeah, that's right. And Alanis Morissette was one of the uh, one of the people on the show. It was a Canadian show. And they drummed green oatmeal. On people, that was the original and that was slime. original slime, and then Nickelodeon went really big, and it made it was like in shows and all that kind of thing, and that's what turned into whatever thing you're talking about. Do you rem- does anyone re- you don't remember this is before you were born? Oh, okay. <laughs> Back in the olden days, when it was black Chris, and white. do you remember what it was that you had to do on You Can't Do This on Television to get slimed? I don't know. I don't know. If you say I don't know, you get slimed. Yeah. So if you you didn't know something. Oh. That I remember something about don't encourage your father or something like that, and I can't. Remember. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, it was like it's telling bad jokes, and it's like laughing at your dad's bad jokes. Don't don't encourage your father. Uh huh. Man, that was a cool show. Yeah, it's a long time ago. That was OG Nickelodeon. Like literally, I think it was like one of the first series on that. Show. It's like from the early '80s. Yeah. Yep. Um. Okay, we should call it there, eh? We should. And we uh, got to come back. We're gonna come come back in another episode. We wanted to go through all the, di- the different lighting technologies. Talk about the difference between tungsten and LED and fluorescent and HMI. We want to talk about all the different types of like grip gear you can get, which there is tons and tons of way to control light and everything. It's, yeah. There's there's lighting is uh, more complex than you might think, uh, and it's 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 one of those those things that like it doesn't get appreciated unless someone tells you to look at it. Because it's not supposed to be noticed. The one thing that I would like to learn more about myself, which maybe we can research, maybe I could research before the next one, is finding the ideal natural light. I have seen these pro photographers. Golden hour. Yeah, golden hour helps big time, big time. But Chris, you may have encountered this um, on some of these press junkets where we'll work with um, some like pro, like world-class photographer. And they talk about finding the light and they'll have a model there. And they're like, okay, and they're just like looking around some random location. They're like, okay, where can we find the light here? And they'll take this model and they'll put them, they're like, okay, stand here, turn this way, look this way, and they'll take a picture and it's like the most beautiful glamour shot you've ever seen. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, I have been around that and it's it's really awesome to get to watch them. Uh, it, 
usually it's one of those photographers that you do not interrupt while they're doing stuff. <laughs> like you just watch them do that. Otherwise they'd be a tyrant. I've, I've had a few that were like, let me do my magic and leave me alone while I'm doing this. You can yeah. watch from afar, but uh, you know, no stealing my, my, my shot, yeah. which is really coveted. But you know, the, the, the big thing now is that there's so many ways to do it in post, you know, with Lightroom when you're doing photos, you can relight a whole scene way differently. Um, Birdman, uh, or is it Birdman? Is that the movie that's supposed to be one big long cut? Yeah, uh, with uh, Michael Keaton. I I, I went to a a, a, a Maya um, a presentation and they used that movie to show one of the scenes that had three hundred different secondary color grades on the scene just to deal with the light in the scene to change it the way the the film uh the director wanted and so you know even when you see these these things that looks like oh so effortless and all that kind of stuff it's usually bs it's usually no they spent a lot of time and were very deliberate and they wanted it to seem like they didn't it reminds me of all the reality shows they work so hard to make it seem like it's real but in you know in reality someone's over there feeding them all booze so they all freak out and you know make good tv so it's just not real I don't know if anybody thinks reality TV is real anymore, but you know, I think my mom thinks they're re- it's real. Well, you watch like Survivor or those kinds of things. Like you'd think, oh, it's a game show, but it's like no, it's still being all manipulated. Yeah. Okay, call it there, right? Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks everyone for listening. For Haley LePlant and Chris Monlux and everyone here at Video Maker, I'm Mike Wilhelm, and you've been listening to the Video Maker podcast. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>